Hello and welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. Hi, my name's Kay. Today we'll be reading from the Book of Signs by Dr. David Jeremiah and we are going to start the Center of Worship in Heaven. Before we get started, do you have anything to share today, Miss Kay? I was going to share that um, Dr. David Jeremiah has been on AFR radio, which I know it's probably different in different areas, whoever might be tuning in, but if you ever, um, you can always um, Google Dr. David Jeremiah and the turning point, and he's been going into depth on this book that we are going through here, and it's like a half hour program, which I have found it to be very good, um, just as for you know, more reference information. Because there's a chapter on Russia or something, right? Yeah, there is, yes. And he had mentioned this morning that he had written that chapter for this book way before any of this ever happened with Russia and Ukraine. And he just felt in his heart that God had led him to write that with knowing what was coming. Right. That is the saddest thing ever. Seeing that on TV, those poor people in Ukraine and the lives that that man has taken for no reason. Yeah. And it's horrific. It's horrific. And I guess one thing that blows my mind do people think that when they die, that's it? that there's not an eternal life. Does he really think he's going to get away with this? Non-Christians do believe that there's not anything past dying. They just think that that's it. No. That is, um, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine somebody having... Being that cold-hearted. It's hard for us to understand that, isn't it? Yes, to kill babies and women. believers, to to have a hard heart. Even if we weren't Christians, Kay, I don't see myself wanting to kill thousands of people. Uh, No, no. I mean... It might depend on many factors. But, yeah. Yeah, we need to continue praying so that, for the absolutely. people in Ukraine because right. it's just yeah. it's just the saddest thing what they have to go through. It's awful. Okay, Miss Kay, let's start okay. with the center of worship in heaven. From the context of worship, we move to the very center of worship. And the scene is glorious. And Revelations 4, 2 through 3 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold... A throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, an appearance like an emerald. The key word in this, the key word in this verse is the word throne, a term that appears 42 times in Revelation including a number of times here in chapter 4 and 5. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne from 4-2. There was a rainbow around the throne, 4-3, and from the throne proceeded 
lightnings, thunderings, and voices. From 4 5. Before the throne there was a sea of glass. And 4 6. Around the throne were four living creatures. Also from 4 6. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. From 4 10. I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. From 5 11. Blessing and honor and glory and power to be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever from 513. You can clear your voice if you want. (coughs) These references to God's heavenly throne speaks to his sovereignty, authority, reign, and absolute power. When we study the throne of God in the book of Revelation, we're reminded that while events on this earth seem chaotic and awfully meaningless, There is one in the universe seated upon his throne, sovereign and in control. This is how John felt in Revelation 4 as he gazed in the wonder at heaven, at the heavenly throne, and tried to describe what he saw. And to smile, exile turned into heavenly excitement, and he began recording the scene. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Why do you think that they said that twice? Did I miss something? Well, I think that he's just bringing to our attention the the throne, you know, that... um, the amazement of the throne. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm receiving from that is, you know, John is saying immediately I was in the spirit. Immediately he was in the Holy Spirit. And just the magnificentness of... The fire burning before right. the throne and the... Significance of the rainbow, the significance of lightning, thunder, and voices being heard, because he controls all of that. Seven spirits of God, which are the seven spirits of God. Hmm, Okay. As the Apostle John gazed at the majesty and beauty of the throne of his eternal creator, all he could comprehend was its diamond-like brilliance, (laughs) its gemstone-like beauty, and its stormy grandeur. God is still seated on the throne, And his throne is still a throne of glory and grace. It's the heart and hub of all our worship, both now and forevermore. You know, that book that I was reading on heaven, they say it's just breathtaking what heaven looks like and what what it is. It is just going to be amazing one day. When it is uh, time, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, just with everything just described right there from John. Yeah. How about, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Okay. And 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. It's going to be more than we can imagine, my friend. Oh, it is. It and is even the, uh, the angels, I just, mm. this is just... Mm. To see another life in what God created and what he's building for us up there 
And, you know, the angels, I just can't wait to meet my guardian angel. Everybody has a guardian angel. We do. We do. And I've never heard that before. You're kidding me, right? No, I'm not kidding you. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know that? I have a guardian angel. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Kay. Does it say that in the Bible? Everybody has a guardian angel. Haven't you ever felt something go before you and kind of stop something? I always thought it was the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's there too. But when we call upon the heavens, you have all those angels that are standing up there. You can command them down on your behalf to go before you and work. But yes, you do have a guardian angel. Everybody has a guardian angel. That's how God protects us. They're down here working amongst us all the time, you know. You're too funny. <laughs> we're we're going to have to investigate this. Yeah, we're going to investigate this. We're going to have more conversation <laughs> on this. Oh, my goodness. That'll be a good topic. Guardian angels. That, Actually, be, that will be a great that's topic. That's going to be one of our topics. That's right. To come. <laughs> but for the time being, we're going to go to the chorus of worship in heaven. That brings us to the chorus of praise we hear around the throne. The Apostle John actually eavesdropped on worship celebration in heaven, one that will herald the beginning of the events leading to the return of Christ. Here is what he saw and heard. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor... Let me do mine too. Don't start that, please. Thank you. And thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created from 4, 4, 9, and 11. I believe the 24 elders represent the church of the living God. They represent the redeemed of all ages. And they were, are there, in heaven, before the throne, singing God's praises while beholding the most jaw-dropping setting of grandeur in the entire universe. The vision continues in Revelations 5, 8 through 10. And here we not only see God the Father, but God the Son, who is the object of great interest and praise. Now, when he has taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and our priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Oh, I wish I could hear that audibility right now. To hear the voices to ascertain the melody, to grasp the powers of the decibels decibels, 
as all of heaven rings the praise of the Lamb. One day we'll be there, but until then, we can turn our hearts to heavenly frequency and use this as our model of praise and worship. Outside the words of the Bible, the most famous definition of worship I've read comes from the pen of William Temple, who served as an archbishop of Canterbury during the difficult days of World II. He wrote, To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. This describes the worship in heaven, and it should be the goal of every worshiper on earth. The crescendo of worship in heaven. As you read through Revelation 4 and 5, visualizing yourself there and the sacred throne, you can feel the acceleration of praise as the heavenly worship service progresses. One of the interesting observations I made in studying the subject of worship in the book of Revelation involves what I'm calling the crescendo of worship in heaven. Crescendo as a musical term that refers to gradual, steady increase in volume and force. The music grows louder and stronger until it reaches a climatic finish. In the worship songs of Revelation, there's an obvious crescendo, and we can see this in the dialogues we encounter. And Revelation 1.6 has a twofold deloxy. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Emphasis added. Revelation 4.11 contains a threefold doxology. You are worthy, O you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 5.13 proclaims a fourthfold doxology. Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The last one, Revelation 7.12, gives us a sevenfold doxology. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can you feel the movement of worship throughout the book of Revelation building until there is a massive crescendo of worship to the Lord? The contrast of worship in heaven. My final observations from Revelation 4 and 5 have to do with the contrasting patterns of worship in heaven. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis wrote, an allegory called The Great Divorce, in which he described a man who rode a bus to paradise and found it more fully and powerfully real than anything he could have imagined. Everything was alive, bursting with color, and expressed in complete reality. But hell, he discovered, was nothing more than a fleck of dust in comparison. 
It was concerned only with tiny things. In the same way, Lewis suggested, our lives in this world become smaller and smaller in light of the grandness of eternity. As John looked at heaven through the mysterious open door in Revelation, everything he saw was grand in scale and gigantic in proportion. The problems around him on earth took a different hue. For him and for us, getting a glimpse of heaven is like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon or at the top of the Rocky Mountains and being speechless at the sight. It's being filled with wonder. We suddenly see that God is much bigger than we had thought and his plans for us are greater than we had expected. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a minute. God's plans. Sometimes we rush through. We make decisions. We sometimes don't ask God what his will is. And we keep going and then we get ourselves in a mess. Thank goodness he's a loving, forgiving, gracious God who will forgive us and turn us back on the right path. But we can't see the bigger picture and the plans that he has. I guess what I want to say is God's timing is perfect. And sometimes we want to now or we have to change or do this. I have made so many mistakes. (laughs) And we get attitudes about it, right? Yeah. We do. Get really mad at God and not talk, not pray, not go to church because... We, I'm mad at you, God. I'm mad at you. I told you what I wanted. Why didn't you do it? Sometimes he shows us why and sometimes he doesn't show us why, you know? It took about 30 years for a couple things for him to show me. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, if God doesn't get, if you trust God and you want an answer on something and you give it to him and you let him lead you and guide you and it's not what you wanted, be thankful. Be so thankful. The years and the heartache that I have endured. Oh my goodness, Miss Kay. Oh my goodness. It True, right? Right. Did you want to add anything to that? No, I don't think so. Okay. I know I made a facial expression. You all couldn't see that. But. <laughs> That's why I thought she wanted to say something yeah, too. I did. But it's like, trust God. Trust Him. It's faith. You have to have faith. Especially... If it's in closing in on you too and you're trusting God, still continue to trust him because that's only Satan making you think that, oh no, that's not right. You need to go do this. Right. You need to take action. You need to take action. No, you do not. Do not. Do not. Do not. John was allowed to experience two realities in one moment. On one hand, he was isolated on Potomus or Patmos separated from friends and worried about the persecution of the church by the Roman emperor, Domitian. Yet in a moment of time, he was ushered out of that reality through the open door into heaven, where he saw the Lord seated on the throne with all the assembled hosts bowing down and ringing out praises that made the very air vibrant with energy 
God gave the experience to John to encourage his heart. Worship took him from the loneliness of his discouragement right into the control room of the universe to see God's purpose and plan for everything that would happen in the future. How do we do this? How do we make John's experience more of our own? Here are four takeaway principles. Worship is not about us. It's about him. And that's what we forget, don't we? Yes, we do. We Because we want our life to be perfect. And we just kind of use God for, um, hey, God, I need this. Hey, God, I need that. Well, how often do you praise him? Right. I think sometimes also, Teresa, in, in worship, um, it is all about him. Yes. You know, when we worship, it is all about him. And it's not about what, what, how it may make me feel or what it's speaking to me. I'm not saying that God doesn't do that sometimes through our praise and worship, like penetrate your heart or penetrate your soul, but um, it's about Him. It is. You're right. It's about Him. First, worship is not about us. It's about Him. Do you really believe that? Perhaps we say, yeah, I do believe that. But what then happens when the worship leader announces a hymn that's new to you or a song you don't like? What happens when some element of Sunday's worship service isn't exactly to your preference? I want to tell you humbly and sincerely that if we focus more on the object of our worship, we'll less be agitated by the style of worship. One of the reasons we get bent out of shape with our so-called worship war is because we forget that worship is not about us. It's about him. Worship is to be offered up to the Lord from our hearts, knowing that the object of our worship is sitting on the throne, seen through the doorway into heaven. Worship is not about here. It's about there. Second, Worship is not about here, it's about there. One of the main purposes of worship is to get our minds off the things of this earth and onto the things in heaven. Only as we're able to do that can we function with integrity. If you walk through your life focused on here and now, forgetting about the eternal realities of God, you'll be discouraged every single day. But if you see heaven your life down here will begin to make sense because you'll have the correct perspective. In another place in his writings, the Apostle John wrote, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Worship is not about now. It's about then. Third, the Bible says, therefore we do not lose heart. 
Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but a moment, is working for us a far is working for us afar more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In this passage, Paul challenged the Corinthian believers to leverage everything that was going on in their lives against the promise of the future. Notice how he contrasted things. The outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed daily. The light affliction is today's problems. The eternal glory is tomorrow's promise. The things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. Think about that for a minute. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if you sit and just think about the things, and that's, we're working down here for eternity as well. Yes, we are. And God has a job for us all to do down here, and that is to tell everyone that he loves them and he wants them in heaven with him when their time is up on earth. And if God puts that person in front of you, please try to, sometimes it's hard for people to talk about God or or say something, but if God is speaking to you, trust me, he'll give you the courage and the words. Just, just, Just do it. He will. And that is true. Worship is the corridor through which we make the exchange of heaven. It is the avenue that leads us from the emptiness of the world to the fullness of the next world. It is the street that leads from decay and discouragement to renewal and glory. When we fail to worship, therefore, we confine ourselves to the despair of this life. That's why we shouldn't take worship casually, either in our churches or in our personal lives. That's why we shouldn't come into a church service tardy and disrespectful and distracted. We were created to worship our creator, and it's our highest human pursuit. As Dr. A.W. Tozer said, I am of the opinion that we should not be concerned about working for God until we have learned the meaning and the delight of worshiping with him. We'll close there for today. But like I said, if you have any questions or any verses that you don't remember, you can get the book of signs by Dr. Jeremiah. And if you want to get it and look over it, um, that's all in there. Sometimes I I uh, pass by the Bible verses and stuff, because I just figured if you want to buy the book, um, it's a nice book to have. Yeah, it's a nice book to have. It's very big. It's a big book, and it's not even expensive. I don't know, $20 or something. Right. 
And it is available if you go to drdavidjeremiah.org. You can order it from him. Mm -hmm. I don't know where... I probably got mine on Amazon. And probably Amazon also because, you know, Amazon is like Google. It has everything. They do. And you plus could do I get a it. price comparison to I see. Do. And I'm just going to throw this out there because if you go to drdavidjeremiah.org, I'm sure the proceeds go to his ministry. And that is true. So see if there's a price difference. And if it's like very similar. Spending. Well, he gets this at Amazon too. He gives... He this is he gets all this money. Oh, he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. People sell on Amazon all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he gets it too. But um, sometimes online, like you said, dot org, they give um proceeds, some of the proceeds to different to other charities, right? Um, that help. Just that, a thought. Yeah, that's true. It's a good thought. Well, Miss Kay, we are going to wrap up there, and we will finish this off the next time we meet. Um, worship is not about one. It's about many. That's where we'll end up this chapter. But I think it's funny now that I have to be on the hunt for a book about guardian angels. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about that. Okay. Have a great week. Thanks for stopping by. God bless.